Blog Talk Radio. It is early August, and SB Nation decided to, let's see, they decided to change their phone number for the host to call in, but didn't change it anywhere else, of course. So you look, and I'm calling from my landline, I'm calling from my cell phone, it doesn't work, and then they give you another number, and then you call in, and it won't let you change the volume of the stupid bumper music if you start the podcast late. So, Jim, I am going to... uh, I am going to contact somebody at SB Nation, ask them what the hell to do, because I've, 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 I've finally actually had enough of this. It really is stupid. Yeah, I told you a month ago they changed the the area code of the host call-in thing, so I have to write it down each time. But it's not on the site. It has the old one. So Sid and I are yeah. – Sid's calling my cell phone, which I have on mute so it doesn't interrupt our podcast, so I miss his call. Uh, there's always something going on with this podcast, but we'll straighten it out one of these years. Always something going on. Quick, quick hit, Jim. The uh, NHL, a spokesperson for the NHL, has said that it is going to quote reassess the situation in Texas if if this anti-transgender bathroom bill passes. Is reassessing the situation enough for you? Does that does that calm you down a little bit? That's called covering your own ass and realizing you made a mistake after you've made it. It was. I mean, there was a, there was some blowback to that. It got him some negative attention. And when to me, when Halliburton comes out against the bill and the NHL basically says we're going ahead with this regardless, it's really embarrassing. I mean, it's just totally embarrassing. So now they're reassessing. They should have reassessed it from the start and simply said we are like you said last week. We will provisionally hold it in Texas next year, Dallas. But if the bathroom bill passes, we're out of here. Or they have until, whatever, October 1st to make a decision or else we're out of here. But, yeah, just it it really was a CYA moment because they didn't think this through. And it really came in conflict with all their talk about inclusion and you can play and pride and all that stuff. So it, it doesn't mollify me at all. Well, and and for me, the, the it actually makes it worse. You're acknowledging now that there's a problem, and instead of saying, if they pass this, we will move it. No. You say, if they pass this, we're going to reassess, which doesn't mean move it. If they came out and said, yeah, you know, boy, we missed the mark. If they pass it, we're moving it. That'd be one thing. They didn't say that. They said, we're going we're gonna to reassess. So for me, it, would, it, doesn't, it doesn't take a lot of assessing to, to figure out you're either against discrimination or you're not. But for them, they want to just kind of reassess where they are on it, I guess. 
Well, I uh, think we have our so guest gonna... on the line, right? Uh, I'm sorry? I, there is a phone call coming in. Is it from our guest? I, I shouldn't be. No, not yet. Um, well. So anyhow, <laughs> uh, okay. So There's someone, I mean, we, do you want to add that? There's someone okay, well, our guest calling later today is our guest. Our guest uh, coming up is uh, John Holmes, who's the, the uh, front page editor for Sky Sports over in England. And he, uh, I met him at the Rainbow Laces Summit back in May in Manchester, and, and we talked at length about what, what, what's going on there in England um, with, uh, with homophobia and trying to combat homophobia in sports. Uh, and the reason we want to have him on is we want to talk about uh, the, the power of, of homophobic language and from, from both fans and players and, and its effect on uh, on on LGBT people in sports, and is it actually keeping them in the closet? We hear this all the time. Like I remember Bruce Arians, the uh, Arizona Cardinals coach, a few a few years ago, said that it's the reason that people won't come out is because of fans. Uh, and 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 Ryan Atkin is an English professional soccer referee who came out publicly today in an interview with Sky Sports, and and, and he talked very specifically about the the, the power of fans and their chants and what have you, and he said that people don't shout at you any louder because of your sexuality, which, which seemed pretty spot on. Um, so, Jim, what, what is your sense of this? Do you, I mean, when you talk to athletes, are, are they actually afraid of, of what fans are going to scream and yell at them? I almost never hear the fan component anymore. I, it, it, the component is always their dynamic with their particular team that's the issue. You just, don't, you just don't hear it that they are really worried about fans. And the history has shown that fans really aren't a problem. One, it's if someone's yelling something anti-gay about, say, umpire Dale Scott, he's almost certainly not going to hear it anyway if you're in a big stadium. Um, so unless an entire fan base is chanting something which is not happening, they're kind of they're kind of mute to it. So I don't even I don't even see that as being a really big issue. Um, maybe there's more so, and I want to talk to John about that in in English football that maybe there would be more sense of something being organized. But I just don't sense that being the reason. People don't talk about fans as their as their hang up about not coming out. They talk about everything else, but it seems. Then why, then why is it that we hear this as a reason? Why, why is it that we hear uh, that, um, of course, we don't hear it from athletes, actually. We don't hear it from LGBT athletes that the fans are why. Yet we keep hearing from the media that this is a big fear of these athletes, of course, that they're just, they're just supposing, I guess. Um, why, so well, I think some of why it is... is it, well, I think sorry, sorry to interrupt. I think in in soccer there there have been clearly racist chants that have been well documented and heard that were just horrific, and they were organized by you know groups of soccer fans. So I think the fear is that that will translate into someone who comes out who's gay. At the same kind of racist you know or throwing you know they threw bananas on the field at black players. They wore you know monkey masks. All sorts of horrible things. So I think people are are translating that to be, boy, if a gay person comes out, you're going to see something similar. Um, and, and that's more in soccer. I mean, but you don't really hear it as much. You sort of hear it in passing in America as a reason, but 
it, 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 that's really died down the last 10 years. That used to be a, a big concern. I just don't hear it anymore from people. Well, they're, they're, study after study over the years has shown that fans pretty much don't care if an athlete is gay. Uh, that Though there was a study that came out uh, by somebody in the last month or so that they essentially showed that only about two-thirds of fans are okay if a, if a player on their favorite team comes out. But other studies that we've shown over the last 15 years have said anywhere 75 to like 90 or 95 percent. And it's always seemed odd to me that when I talk to people, um, the, the not again, not athletes, the, the people in the media or fans, they point to fans. It's that fans are going to be the problem. Fans are going to do this. They're going to chant this. They're going to say that. And Sky Sports asked this uh, this guy, Ryan Atkin, who was a referee. I said, are you, are you afraid of, of all the chants that you're going to suddenly hear? And he's like, no, I already hear them, and and they're not going to just they're not going to yell them at me more loudly. <laughs> they're already yelling them loud enough. Like the fans are already active enough. They're not looking for uh, a, a gay referee to harass. So it's always it's just it seemed odd to me that the, the the that the media and fans keep talking about what a problem fans are going to be. Yet when they're privately polled, they say there there's no problem. Certainly in the United States, I've never been to a, a sporting event where there were anti-gay slurs or anti-gay chants. It was an issue maybe 15 years ago. I remember something at University of Virginia, but it just—it's all been been stamped out. So I just—I scratch my head when I hear people say this, and, or when—and you know, even just asking Ryan Atkin if he's afraid of this, it's acknowledge—it's claiming that it's a problem when it just doesn't seem to be. No, and I, again, I think the, the whole fan concern is a vestige of an earlier time. I think there, <clears throat> it would just be something that I don't, I don't think even other fans would tolerate if fans start chanting or, or taunting someone for being gay. I think their own fan base would turn on them. You know, that's not cool. Don't do that. And that, that doesn't seem to be an American issue also, as it is maybe overseas. Um, we just, I mean, we, we've had... On Twitter, we've had you know black the, the black hockey player Boston or Washington several years ago was attacked kind of nastily, but you don't really hear it um, among fan bases so much. It seems to be that our fans can do idiotic, stupid things, but those kind of taunts don't seem to be a part of it. So I do think the question is simply one of those reflexive questions you ask just because you say, well, do you worry about the endorsements? Do you worry about the media? Do you worry about the fans? I think it's almost like you try to think of every possible interaction an athlete could have in his sport, and fans are one of them. I think the result would be that fans would be very supportive of someone on their own team, and they would boo them if they struck out with the bases loaded in the ninth inning of a playoff game, but it wouldn't be because they're gay, because they just struck out with the bases loaded in the ninth inning of a playoff game. Have you ever heard en masse, and, and, and like you said, overseas, um, obviously when, when fans from Mexico come to the United States, we, we see this puto chant popping up. Uh, but that's less harassing a gay player than using a gay slur to harass people. So I'm curious, uh, have, Jim, have you ever heard, have you, have you heard this, have you heard a gay slur being chanted at a gay athlete before in a sporting event? Uh, I have not heard it personally. The only one I've ever heard of is in English soccer where there was a player years ago, and this goes back 12, 15 years ago, 
um, where this player said uh, he was uh, – it was someone who said they weren't gay, but everyone assumed they're gay, and the opposing fans would chant it. But I have not heard that uh, at all personally. Well, we do have a caller calling in, and it's from a 918 number. So I, I, I don't know is this this is our guest. Uh, caller, you're on the line. Who's this? <laughs> well, <goodness. laughs> Yeah, that was, yeah, a, there was a happy fan. What was that about? I figured that was not that was not a call from London. <laughs> <laughs> it was the second uh, and, time and, they and, called in, so we're still waiting from London. But no, that was the only time I heard it, um, and it, it turned out for a player who wasn't gay, and that was their way of getting under his skin. But this was, goes back, God, at least 12 years ago. But I've never heard a chant. Michael Sam, we, we didn't have one documented instance of him suffering any homophobic abuse from fans, right, when he was with the Rams? No, no, and and no abuse from teammates or opponents either. So, so well, but but again, you know, it, it, and it's funny because one of the ways that the media uh, perpetuates these issues, and I talk to people, um, you know, some some of the media will call me and I'll tell them that I'm tired of the negative of the negative way the media portrays being gay in sports, and they're like, "What are you talking about? We're so supportive." And I said, "I said, oh really?" Um, Three quarters of your questions have been about how difficult it is and what a struggle it is and all this stuff that's negative. Your questions create, your questions uh, reflect the negative tone with which you approach the story, that it's somehow this horrible thing to be gay in sports. And for, for me, Sky Sports asking the question, oh, um, you know, aren't you afraid of all of these all of these uh, slurs that you're going to hear and all these chants you're going to hear from the stands, to me, the, the the question perpetuates the idea. And, of course, the guy's like, no, it's got to be totally fine. Because when you talk to athletes, it's totally fine. But the media, because they, they have to, they have these ideas in their heads that fans are a problem and chants are a problem for gay athletes. And so just, they are just going to hammer it and hammer it and hammer it and hammer it, whether it's true or not. And that's the issue that I have with it. Well, I think the media collectively have certain assumptions about people that they kind of treat them as maybe being less sophisticated than they actually are. We even see it in political coverage where they'll, um, you know, they'll, they'll assume that the, the the public doesn't want to hear about issues, and then when you actually talk to the public, they want to, they really want to know specifically granularly about issues. I think the same thing here that we assume that. You know, people are going to somehow be these Neanderthals who are going to be anti-gay or anti-whatever, and it's just not borne out by any of the any of the sort of statistics or evidence we've seen. And we have Scott France, the you wrote about this a couple of days ago, the openly gay college football player from Kansas State, and you know he said he may hear some trash talk, but he kind of heard it before anyway, just because when you play football you hear trash talk, but it wasn't. From my understanding, specifically directed to the Ford, the fact that he was gay. It's just simply trash talk when you're an offensive lineman and you're knocking heads with the guy on defense. People may say stuff, but it wasn't like, oh my God, they said this because I'm because they now know I'm gay. I think we have to give people and players a lot more credit sometimes than I think the media often do. Well. Yeah, exactly, and 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 that's a the great point. It's not just the media that that, that doesn't give them uh, that doesn't give them a, a, a the benefit of the doubt. It's it's the the front office executives and the coaches who think that that that, that the, the the players and the fans can't can't handle this kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's we've seen this before. I remember there being a poll years ago that said you know, and this was like 15 years ago. 
are you okay with gay athletes? And, and it was like 80%. Yep, I'm fine. Uh, we're not talking about marriage, but are you okay with an athlete being gay? Yeah, I'm fine. Is the guy next to you okay with, with it? And it was like 40% said yes or 30% said yes. The majority thought, no, I'm fine with it, but the guy next to me is not. And the guy next to them said, yep, I'm fine with it, but the guy next to me is not. And it's this idea that, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with it, but, oh, it's everybody else is the problem. And I think that's one of the reasons that the, the media blames the fans and the coaches blame the fans. And the fans are just kind of in, because, you know, they're, they're beer drinkers and they're blue collar. They're, they're easy targets. Um, so yeah, I, and listen, I there are a lot of fans who are boorish, drunk idiots. I mean, no one denies that, and they say stupid things at games, and they ride players for certain stuff. But I think they they ride players almost generically more so than you know they'll call a player fat or they'll call a player ugly or the you know. And there's always that group in a crowd that are kind of just annoying. They're hecklers. I mean, but I think the whole gay stuff, the heckling a gay player, is is something we just have not seen at all in America. And I think yeah. if it did happen, it would be a big story, and I think that that fan would get slammed by everybody. It would be like you're attacking someone for their race or something. It would be like almost like, wait a second, that's out of bounds. You don't you don't do that. And so I do think that um, that I think sometimes the media again I think just don't give people enough credit for um, thing. And I think we do have a call coming in from London now. I think we. Yeah, so John Holmes is a front page editor for Sky Sports. Sky Sports is the is the is the media entity that carried the story about Ryan Atkin today. John, how involved were you with with that story that came out today? Hi guys, uh, can you Hi. hear me okay first? Yeah, I'm very Perfect. involved. So um, um, Ryan Ryan approached me um, about three months ago. Um, We'd uh, we'd been chatting uh, like independently through um, mutual friends, and and he was very interested in sharing his story because he'd seen the response and the activity around the Rainbow Laces campaign that Stonewall has been running, and really good messages that the um, governing bodies had been putting out, and uh, he was very keen to kind of try and help help along with with that as much as he could by sharing his own story, and I think it's had a real impact today. Um, so, what level is he refereeing at? So he's a he's a professional referee, um, but it's not his full time job. Um, he's he he has a, a day job as well, but he referees at um, at the level just outside of the main top four professional divisions in this country. So it's, it's actually the National League North and South, um, those two divisions. That's level six of the pyramid. Um, but he he is an assistant referee um, in the English Football League, the EFL, which means that he. Often, uh, sorry, he, he used to be an assistant referee, but he's, also, he's now a fourth official. So that basically means that he's he's the kind of the fourth man of the, of the refereeing team. He he stands on the touchline and looks after the, the two dugouts and uh, and helps the referee and the assistant referees on the pitch. And and he does that at EFL level. So that would be the second, third, and fourth tiers of the English football pyramid. And he's the awesome, first professional really. referee in uh, in England to come out. So he's the first professional football referee uh, in this country. Yeah, correct. Yeah, we had yeah. rugby. Um, uh, Nigel Owen, I think, is a big guy, big shot over there. That's right, yeah. Yep. I mean, this is in men's football. Um, to the best of my knowledge, I don't know of any um, out um, referees in women's football um, on the refereeing side. There could well be some, but um, as far as I know, I don't think they share their stories publicly. 
Um, so in that sense, yeah, Ryan's certainly like a landmark. And, and it's been recognised as such over here. The, the FA's head of refereeing has called it an important moment for the game. So I think, I think that shows the significance. So what stuck out to me from the interview was that when, when Sky Sports asked him, uh, are, are you afraid of all the fans harassing you because you're gay? And he's like, no, they already harassed me. They're not going to harass me anymore because I'm gay. And we hear in the United States all the time about the, the horrible behavior of, of football fans in, in the U.K. Do, do you get a sense that, that, that gay athletes are actually afraid of, of being harassed more by fans or that they're they're afraid of the chance that they might hear from the stands or is is like well like ryan said this is just kind of uh it's just kind of fabricated by you guys and this actually is not a big fear i think i think they have fears and as, as best we know i think there's, there's a fear of, of of just the unknown and i think that's something that ryan spoke about in his piece i think i think a lot of players a lot of professional athletes like to feel they're in control um, and obviously the reactions of spectators is something that's, that's completely out of their control. So I think it's very much that, that fear of just not knowing what exactly what the environment is going to be like for someone who's on the field uh, and is a, an out gay athlete and, and to see what the response would, would be. I mean, our best knowledge about what it would be like is, is again, like at a lower level. Um, so Liam Davis, who I'm sure you guys probably have heard and, and also written yeah. about yourself. Yeah, the, um, so he played for Game for Trinity, which is at a level not that dissimilar to the level that referee um, Ryan Atkin will be will be officiating at. Um, and you know he's he's obviously been out um, playing in his community team uh, and a couple of teams up there in the northeast of England. Um, and you know he's well known figure in his own local community. And, and as far as we know, there's been you know very low levels of of any kind of abuse that have ever been directed at him as an out gay player on the pitch. And, you know, it was a great uh, moment, certainly for him, and I think to the game as well, that he played at Wembley um, as part of a, non, a non-league finals day um, last season. Um, you know, and, and there was a great response to the significance of, a, of an out-gay player playing at our national stadium in front of you know, a massive crowd, certainly a lot bigger crowd than he would normally play at. So, so the evidence is there that would suggest that, that it isn't a big deal for fans and, and homophobic abuse. As, as well, we know that it does exist, but in terms of actually manifesting itself in their behaviour directed at an individual on a match day, I think it's, it seems unlikely. So, so one of the questions that comes up in the U.S., actually anywhere, that we see institutions much more accepting and embracing of LGBT issues and people and athletes and encouraging, uh, fans seem not to care, the media is certainly supportive, and yet we have, like, nobody openly gained the EPL, and nobody openly gay in the four big American male team sports. And I, so then I guess the question is, from your vantage point, what is still the barrier that prevents athletes from coming out at the high elite levels? Well, I think it, it's a variety. It's a very complex problem. Um, you know, I, I say it's a problem. It's, it may well not be a problem for the individuals. They may well be out to teammates, to, to other people within their clubs and, and their communities but they don't feel ready yet for, for whatever reason to share their stories more publicly with, with the media and, and with the world. Um, I think there is an element of, of, as we say, fear of the unknown uh, about exactly how that story will, will be handled. It, will it be out of their control? Um, will the media somehow kind of twist their story? That's, I think that, that would be a concern. Um, I think there's also 
um, you know, caution around, as I say, probably the, the reactions of different people within the game. Um, as, you know, as, as we know, there's, there's such a stigma and a shame historically with with being with being gay. Um, you know, in not just in, in our country, but but in in, in the, a lot of countries around the world. And obviously, it's it's you know, there are some pockets of the world where it's it's far far worse. But that historic stigma and shame hasn't been shaken off in sport because of its slow progress towards inclusion for LGBT people. That's, that's the feeling that, that I think that we get over here. Um, I don't know if that's echoed uh, as much in the US, but certainly, you know, we, we read with great interest the progress that you guys uh, are making, certainly at a college level. Um, and and that, that's something that, you know, that gives us great hope. So first of all, if you're, if you're listening and you're on Twitter, John Holmes is probably the closest. I told Jim the closest thing to sit in gym in in, in England because um, there just isn't an out sports. There isn't a high school and a collegiate athletic system there. Um, but John is doing a lot of great stuff. He's at J O N B O Y seven nine. John, I saw you at the Rainbow Laces Summit in Manchester back in May, and and my big message to anybody that would listen is sports actually not that homophobic it's the homophobia in sports is way overblown uh and and what we need is more athletes and people in sports to come out to show how how much sports has moved past homophobia uh and uh, so in the last three months as you've reflected on my brilliant insight is uh, how, for for the for the uk how right or how wrong was i and 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 what can we look for in the coming months uh, from you know, either athletes coming out or leagues taking new steps of, of how to combat homophobia. Um, yeah. yeah. Any and um, all that. I, I think how, how, how overblown or yeah. how underblown is homophobia? I think, I think that there's a feeling that homophobia exists because we're not seeing great amounts of evidence to, to the contrary. And, and because we've known that homophobia has been, uh, a deep-rooted problem um, in not just sport, but in society, uh, you know, down the years. It's only really in the last 10, 15 years that, that we felt, you know, that LGBT equality has made such great strides. But because there's no no great evidence of that, you know, certainly in football, which is, as we know, the most popular sport in this country, there's great greater evidence of it um, elsewhere in, in British sport, particularly women's football. Um, I say football, I'm, I'm talking about the men's game, but the women's game is, is obviously a great, um, a great example of the, of the progress that can be made. Um, I think there's just a lack of LGBT visibility, not just on the pitch, but just throughout the game. So that's at all levels. Uh, it's one of the great things we've had over here in recent years is the rise of LGBT fan groups at the big um, football clubs and all the way down the football pyramid in this country. Um, so that's giving LGBT visibility in football on the on the terraces um, from the fans, and I think we'd like to see more people at all levels of the game coming out if they are LGBT and and feeling able to do that because the environment is is so much more conducive for them to, to be able to do that. And I think that's why Ryan's story has really struck a chord over here because there is a great interest in whether or not there are gay footballers at various levels of the game and and their reasons for not coming out. But it's not about gay players. The whole Rainbow Laces campaign and focus in this country is not about gay players. It's about everyone involved in sport being in an environment where they're able to be themselves and be more successful because they are authentic people, um, you know, living their lives o- openly and, and not worried about about the this this overriding threat of homophobia that is talked about, but but manifests itself, um, you know, in in various ways. And ultimately, it is a minority that, that hold these homophobic opinions and, and make themselves heard. 
and, and it's not the overriding feeling in British sport. Well, it was interesting that the idea of the fan groups, because I think fans over there are more organized than they are in the U.S. I mean, we don't have anything, at least at the pro level, they do maybe in college, of like the kind of chants and how, how you know, fans will sing an entire game and they have these songs that go back 100 years. And I think there have been examples, you know, more like 15 years ago where, of, uh, I forget I forget his last name, his first name was Graham, and he was a player that everyone assumed was gay even though he wasn't, and they would really, like, have these organized chants at opposing things. So it seemed to me that getting LGBT fans public and visible is a way to sort of say the fan base has changed. You're not going to hear these kind of hopefully crude kind of overt comments if a player were to come out as gay because you'd have a you'd have sort of a group of people in the stands who themselves are LGBT and who would kind of counteract that. It might be in off base on that or no, I think I think you're spot on. Mate. The player you're referring to, Graham Lassau, so he was yes, an England yes. international, uh, played played for Chelsea, um, and yes, he was a, he was a victim of homophobic abuse. Um, so th- so that that had manifested itself like on the pitch. Uh, an opposition player, Robbie Fowler, was quite a famous incident in English football. But this is going back, you know, as I say, like over sort of ten, yeah, 15 like fifteen years. Ago, years and, yeah. And, 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 yeah, but um, I, I just think you know it just shows the progress that we've made. Uh, in terms of LGBT equality in this country, that that such an incident now would, would would horrify the vast majority of people because there was no real reaction to it from the authorities when it happened 10, 15 years ago. I can't remember mm-hmm. the exact date. It was just kind of it was just kind of accepted because it was it was an example of of just a way for a, a, an opposition player to get one up on 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 his opponent, um, and it wasn't seen as as being you know particularly damaging at the time. Um, now I think I think everyone looks back on that incident with with great great disappointment that it wasn't tackled more more effectively at, at, at the time. So, but I think what what we're seeing now in terms of, of, of homophobia and how it manifests itself, I think it is that that social media level where um, where people you know obviously hiding behind uh, anonymous profiles etc. and they're directing abuse at players on social media. You know. Um, for example, we have you know goal celebrations over here in, in the Premier League, and, quite, and it's quite quite common to see you know opposition fans or etc. taunting players like on social media uh, and mocking their their actions on the field and, and calling them gay or or, or other pejorative terms. You know th- this is how homophobia is manifesting itself now, but it's really visible because it's out there on social media and everyone can see it. But it isn't by any by any stretch the overriding feeling of, of fans and supporters in this country. They are very much supportive of their players, particularly, obviously, players on their own team, and they will be 100% behind uh, a player if he were to come out uh, in the future. So, John, one, one last question, and I just want to kind of slightly change topics uh, before we let you go. Um, the last couple of months, we've seen several players, uh, in several professional athletes in the United States in baseball and hockey use gay slurs during games and major league baseball has hit them with two game suspensions each time and the national hockey league uh, offered no suspension whatsoever uh, what is your feeling on the the effectiveness of using suspensions uh, i know people talk about education and making sure the person understands what they did wrong but what what is your what is your feeling about the the use of punishment and suspensions and taking matches away from from athletes who use this kind of language, is is it an effective way for leagues to send a message? 
I think I think it's only effective when both of those elements uh, are combined together. So I think yes, there does have to be a suspension, and depending on the severity of the offence, that that will determine the length of the suspension. Um, but also education, you know, is a huge part of, of the process. And I think we've seen two different examples over here in the UK, in, in, certainly in the last uh, 18 months or so. One of which involved a, a, um, a player who had, uh, who had tweeted the word faggots um, in relation to a match he was watching on TV, um, and he was. He was called out on that, obviously on social media at the time, but he was also punished by the FA with a with a, a, a short ban. I think it was one or two games, but a fine and an education course. And the other example would be uh, a more high-profile player at the time was, uh, was Andre Gray, uh, a striker who's recently transferred from Burnley to Watford. So he was playing for Burnley, scored against Liverpool, and as a result of this focus on him, it was discovered that there were these tweets going back on his timeline historically, where he'd made some, you know, really abhorrent um, Twitter posts about gay people, um, some, some of the worst, you know, really horrifying stuff. And, and he, was, he was appropriately punished. He had a, a longer, much longer ban, six games, I think it was, a bigger fine, and, and also the education course. Um, so one thing we do know is certainly the, the Coventry player, Chris Stokes, um, he gave an interview to the FA talking about the process uh, after it had been completed and expressing his regret and how useful the education course had been. And I think that was really, really useful in showing like the, the good work that the FA are doing in terms of, of trying not only to, you know, to, to show that, that it will not be tolerated, but also you know, trying to find out the reasons why it still happens and, and educating players on, on the, the need for them to be much, um, you know, much more aware of the impact that their actions and words can have. And, and, and basically just, just trying to bring them up to speed on, on um, an important part of society that, that for, for whatever reason they haven't been able to get right yet. Well, John, I have one more question, if we, if we have time, Sid, for one more question. Sure. Okay. Sure. Yeah, um, do you th given the notorious reputation of the English tabloids, do you think uh, media would ever out an athlete? I don't think they would in the U.S. Do you think there's that – is that – a concern at all, or do they even have a, too much respect for doing something like that? No, I think those days are, are fortunately behind us. Um, I'd mm -hmm. feel very, you know, I, I'd be. I think everyone in this country would be very surprised if, if a tabloid newspaper, you know, outed outed at anyone, not not just a sportsman, because I think there is a recognition now that that, that is, you know, obviously a, a private personal part of, of a person's identity if that's the decision that they've made about their sexuality uh, i certainly don't think that that um we shouldn't that uh, there are some some people who would argue that, that a person's sex, sexuality shouldn't be reported upon but i certainly wouldn't agree with that i think there's 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 reasons why people should be able to live openly if they choose to mm -hmm. um but i'd like to, I'd, I'd like to think that that the progress we've made in this country would be reflected in the fact that i uh, say a newspaper would certainly not out someone um I just don't, don't think it would happen anymore. And also, these these publications also have openly LGBT editors, reporters who would probably push back if something like that were to happen. I'm assuming. Absolutely, and lawyers as well. Uh, yeah, well, that's true. You do have lots. You have a lot uh, harder law, libel laws than we do in the U.S. Absolutely, and if someone previously, you know, uh, had been invaded in such a way that and splashed across the pages of, of a tabloid news, newspaper, I think due, due to the um, certainly in, in recent years has been, you know, 
the Leveson inquiry over here and a, a lot more focus on, on the freedom of the press and, and the damage that intrusive press activity can have on a, on a person's life. Um, I think that, 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 that whichever newspaper um, was, was responsible for that, I think they were, the authorities would come down on them like a ton of bricks. Well, John, thank you so much for joining us. It was great to meet you a few months ago, and I'm glad we're able to connect. We'll keep watching what you and Sky Sports are doing with LGBT athletes. Again, John is on Twitter at J-O-N-B-O-Y-7-9. And go Plymouth. Thanks, John. Thank you, Sid. And thanks thanks again for all the great work that you guys do. It's a, a great inspiration to us over here in the UK. All right, well, take care. Well, it was John Holmes from uh, Sky Sports, and we, we, we ran a little over because, of course, more technical difficulties getting getting him on, no, no, by no fault of his, um, by every fault of stupid blog talk right now. Uh, but, uh, Jim, any, any any closing thoughts before we uh, we finish out here? Anything on the Matt Joyce suspension? I mean, I think two games seems fine, two or three games, and they acted quickly, and I think that, that that's what has to be done. I think suspensions do matter. Um, time time loss means more than 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 just a simple fine, and it has to be at least multiple games. I think the Escobar uh, getting uh, three games a couple years ago from the Blue Jays. I think that because that was a provocative act where he wrote a, a gay slur in Spanish and I black. These were kind of you know bursts of anger and. Uh, two games. I just seemed right to me. I didn't. I was not bothered by it, and yeah. the actions were quick. And yeah. apparently, Matt Joyce was really beside himself that he uh, that he said that. Yeah. Well, and but what's funny is the suspension was handed out Saturday morning. It was over by Sunday night. So, but that's baseball. That's all the time yep. we have this week. We will talk to you next week. <laughs>